0: If you think about how many brands of consumer products there are that, that can be replaced by plant-based, then you know, bring it on. We've got a long way to go. But we need hundreds, thousands more brands. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Jerry Saylor and you're listening to the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show, the podcast for business advice and inspiration if you want to get started or learn more about running a successful plan-based brand. Now before we begin, if you missed the announcement last week, We've just started the countdown to the first ever online vegan business summit that will be happening in September. And for the next few weeks, before we open up registration for the event, you still have a chance to give us your feedback and tell us exactly what questions you would like our guests to answer. Because what we'll be doing is we're going to be bringing in experts from all across the plant-based industry, food, fashion, startups, marketing, technology, and personal brands, So if you're interested in any of these, if you're already running a business, if you're thinking of starting one, or if you simply want to know more from the people doing it, head over to veganbusinesssummit.com, fill out the survey on the site, and leave us your biggest questions. And of course, stay tuned to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show and follow our insider list to learn when we open registration for this event now moving onwards to today's interview first of all i have to apologize if my voice sounds a bit different because just before we were scheduled to talk i had a bit of a microphone meltdown and the way the temperatures have been over here i'm I'm thinking meltdown might actually be the literal description of what happened inside my regular mic so Anyway, I I had to use a backup for this talk, and I don't know if I might be coming over a bit more muffled than usual or not, but at least you can hear me, and I think you'll enjoy this episode nevertheless. You know, so far, I've had a number of guests from the UK, and the overall impression that I've gotten was that the vegan scene over on the island was really getting big. So today, I'm talking to Jennifer Bardell, who three years ago founded a plant-based food consulting agency called Zest in England. And right now they are on the verge of rebranding their company and expanding their services. So I thought it was a great time to bring her on, talk about the things she does for her clients and how she views the conditions and opportunities for plant-based business in the UK and abroad. Jennifer, welcome to the show and just to get the ball rolling with your personal story, How did you get into this business and how did you get to plant-based food?
0: Sure thing. So, um, well, I've worked in in the food industry for 29 years now. My first job was in a fast food chicken shop in Australia, where I'm from, when I was 15. I loved the customer interaction and serving customers and I was really hooked on, on food retail from then on. I moved to London in 1998 to fast track my career in food and Climbed my way up in the corporate world, working for Starbucks and a company here in the UK called EAT. And after five years at EAT, I co-founded a food to go chain, founded that in, in London and grew that to a million pounds per year turnover business.
1: And that was food to go for all sorts of food. It, it wasn't just plant-based, right?
0: That's right. It was really your typical meat-centric food to go business where sandwiches, salads, hot foods... They all pretty much had egg, dairy in every single
1: one. At what point did that start leaning towards vegan offerings?
0: Really what happened was, is our customers, and this is back in 2010, 2011, and 2012, really over that period of time, we really noticed a huge uptick in our customers asking for healthier food, and food that was still going to fill them up, but they wanted healthier food, and... I looked at the nutritional aspects, did the research at that time and decided that plant-based products were the way to go and solved you know quite a number of problems. They were better on the food safety side, better margins and healthier. And also at the time there was a lot of information coming out on through the internet really on environmental side. So I saw this was the way forward and I started developing more plant-based products and You know, they sold well. Some were light and healthy, some were hearty and healthy, and some were indulgent. I developed maybe like 100 products or so, some hot serve and some chilled packaged products. From our own sales mix, I could see plant-based growing. And there was also a time when plant milks were starting to become more available in supermarkets here in the UK. And, you know, back then we didn't have all of the ingredients available from suppliers that we do today but we've still got a long way to go then the recession hit in a bit more and competition increased and our wanted to transform our, our menu and our investors weren't keen on that and right at the end they declared their association with beef production and I guess they didn't want to have a meat-free investment in the portfolio which is fair enough but I was really not interested in spending the next 10 years in the meat-centric business so that was really when I started looking further out in the food industry and seeing what gaps there were, and Zest was born, basically, at that time. The concept of helping other businesses to transform their product ranges and menus.
1: Basically, you took the experience that you've built with this food business and the feedback that you were getting from your clients into a branding and, and consulting agency, and that was how Zest was started
0: also out of the love of just developing plant-based food and doing it better than my competitors.
1: So what was the actual reason that you started adding so many plant-based products to, to your range? Were, were you vegan or vegetarian at that point, or was it simply because it was something that was rising in the market?
0: It was really based on the feedback from our customers and then looking at the nutritional side of products myself and realizing that the plant-based was the way forward and when we developed our products there were sandwiches, salads, hot foods, almond milks, all sorts of different plant-based products Um, they sold well and they also had great margins so it was really a mix of, of everything together and obviously back then you know 2010, 2011 was also a time where information about environmental and health was really flooding the internet and um, you know I was paying attention to the the bigger trends so it was really a mix of all those things
1: and then did that business when the investors decided that they did not want to back it as a 100% plan based operation did you continue with it or was it just Time to let go and move on.
0: Yeah, I remember this board meeting very clearly. Actually, it was really the turning point. That board meeting, that's when the investors declared their other interests. And it was a pretty quick decision for me of which way to go. So at that board meeting, we decided to actually sell off two of our sites that we had and close down the third. I was really so not motivated to continue the business as it was and not turning it fully plant based. However, if it had continued and the investors were good to go with transforming the menu, it would have been a transition. There'd have been some time to transition that. But I have no regrets and really pleased with the starting this current business and the growth that it's seen in the last three years. So it's been such an exciting journey and it's just very, very motivating. It's a good news business to be in.
1: That's definitely true. And three years ago when, when you started it as a what what was the idea?
0: The idea was to help other business people with developing their products and also how to get those products onto the market so that they were available to consumers, basically. That was really the starting point. And the idea, but we had to spend some time having not been in the services industry before, spend some time figuring out what exactly the services were going to be they were going to offer, how we're going to do it, what opportunities there were and you know basically getting feedback from from clients as to what what services they wanted so um, it, it took it took some time, but along the way we've been trading the whole time and offering services from Helping at food shows, trade and consumer food shows, making and developing products, to finding speaker placement at networking events. So <laughs> quite a few things, but now we've really honed what we're doing. And so the rebranding was all designed time to, to do that.
1: Yeah, because right now you're, you're really at a turning point with your business. But just to ask the, the we that you are using, did you bring together a new team when you started with Zest, or did you have some people who stayed with you from your food-to-go business and transition to, to Zest?
0: Well, in the early startup days, the uh, store manager that was working in one of our stores in the previous business, she worked with us for a little bit in the new business, actually just to, just to help The startup, she really likes working in retail situations. So she went back into retail. But yeah, she helped us in the beginning. Gradually over time, we've added someone here and there uh, as we've grown, actually, as to see what services we provide. So we grew that to a team of four, really adding the branding and identity services and in the actual product development itself, like the food product development, really getting our nutritionists on board. Um, was also a big win actually and so we're offering the full product development package so when it comes to developing the products and working towards health claims and best nutrition that product can offer also labeling the legals behind that too and then providing a file for our clients an evidence file to comply with our trading standards here in the UK that was a Great when our nutritionist came on board. But in terms of the branding as well, it's been good timing because we're about to add a food technologist who specializes in vegetables, which is fantastic. Amazing to find someone who just specializes in vegetables.
1: (laughs) Vegetable food technology?
0: Absolutely. And also a new business partner who'll be a managing partner and she's going to focus on new marketing services. So Marketing services uh, are to come, so very exciting time.
1: Yeah, because of course the the really big thing is that you are right now rebranding your company and you're no longer cis. You're turning into plant based to business.
0: Yes, that's right. So the name itself is just a play on business to business. PB2B, yeah, yeah, pb to b But also, you know, it's, it's a play on words and plant based product to be, you know, future plant based product. So. Seems to fit really well and just in you know just in front of the retail buyers and food service they get what we do straight away from the name and um having the professional branding done helps position us so yeah it was absolutely the right time it's very very exciting plant base is growing you know every year has been such a great year month after month it's just full yeah. full of news um and especially here in the uk like all the data market research firms like YouGov and Cantar, a couple of others, releasing very positive data. And the supermarkets here in the UK, too, also releasing their sales data on, on meat-free in particular. So, yeah, it's really great to see and just everything else is happening as well.
1: So, in, in terms of activity and services offered, what else does plant-based to Business offer in comparison to, to what Zest was doing?
0: What Zest was doing is, and what we still do, is new and existing food development for mainstream markets. So identifying where the gaps in the market are, what data backs it up, coming up with concepts, creating prototypes, and then the product labeling, also menu design and sourcing packaging. And then in the scaling upside and source and work with manufacturers and distributors here in the UK and in the EU, and our business support services we re- work with our clients and also their third-party collaboratives um, to review their work and alerting our clients to any upcoming opportunities like networking or investors and or gaps in the market and it, just keeping our clients up to date with news but with a new plant-based to be we'll also be offering marketing services as well for the UK. I think in the future we're also considering chef and product developer training as well. We have mm-hmm. a developer. So we'd like to put that to more use.
1: Nice. Your clients, what stage are normally those companies? Like do, do you work all across board or do do you prefer to work with companies that are already established and just bringing in more products or startups mm-hmm. that are building their first offering?
0: At any stage. From pre-startup to large established business corporations, generally large businesses are looking to other markets to increase sales. And anytime when our clients also have a, a time and knowledge gap, we, we're there to help. I think, that, I think to answer your question, or everything in the food industry, I think the only thing that we, that we don't do, which we would leave up to highly skilled chefs, is, is really high-end restaurants. So in the in the food service side, we would work with multiple site chains, restaurant chains, so on food to go or quick service retail those areas. So we we leave the really super uber high ends (laughs) to to those super skilled chefs. We love watching what they do. Very very skilled. That's probably our hobby actually (laughs) to to watch what they do. so, yeah, so any stage, really.
1: What your typical workday look like if you're working with just one client, for instance? What do you do with them? <laughs> I, I know that's a really, really wide question. We
0: could take our um, client that we've just finished doing a ready meal for, ready meal concept. It, the ready meal concept is a pasta-based and a very, very popular pasta-based dish, I might add um when we started with them is first of all it's a it's a strategic discussion first actually it was several because they wanted to make sure that they're if they've chosen ready meals which was a very strong contender in a fast-growing sector of the market you know was it going to be chilled was it going to be frozen and also the the actual ready meal itself is going to be the strongest one but how were they going to name it market it what qualities was it going to have What nutrition elements was it going to have, and what was it going to look like on the shelf? So really, the vision of what they wanted, and and working backwards from there is the first stage. And you know, with every potential client that wants to drive sales of plant-based food, and that and you know that creates more availability and choice to consumers. You know, we've got always got time to hear their vision, overarching focus, and core mission is provide more and better plant-based products for the end user to the consumer you know so even if the goal for the startup entrepreneur or the corporation is just financial and they don't care about ticking sustainability box you know we're still all is plant-based food makes money that's the main driver so let's work with that other companies and some big ones as well you know they're still focused on values first it's written into their mission so for this particular client it was really important that their values came across. It's important to learn those in the beginning. Other than that, we do a full competitor analysis of products in the category, so side-by-side tasting. And it may be controversial, actually, and may not appeal to your listeners who might be vegan, but we do do side-by-side tastings of when our client wants their products to be the equivalent or better than... It's meat or dairy counterpart. We taste the products. Maybe between you and others, listeners, we we put it out, but (laughs) we get close to that taste. So we do the full products competitor analysis and see where, in terms of flavor and texture, the product is positioned. After that, we're in the development kitchen and coming up with prototypes. We have tastings of those with our clients. And the clients give us feedback and, you know, we we do the tweaks. And we're also working on the recipe itself, nutritional information, um, any points to consider when scaling the recipe up and coming up with all the options so the client can see all their nutritional options, you know, how close or far away they are from particular nutritional goals that they could use as marketing on their pack. And then we sign, sign the products off and then we continue because others will be looking for a manufacturer at the same time. Then we're continue searching for the manufacturer and, and then making, making introductions to the client, um, the manufacturer. I'll say this, manufacturers are hard to get through too.
1: <laughs> In what way?
0: Well, typically you probably make 50 phone calls before you can get through.
1: Before they even answer or get back to you or before you find one that's interested in, in doing what you're doing?
0: All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Why is because there's not enough manufacturers to... Those manufacturers are very busy. And a lot of the time, they're not so interested in, in new development. You know, these are manufacturers of the size that are not, Servicing supermarkets directly with white label products. So, so these manufacturers are busy, and to get their attention, you have to have a strong case already. So, it's like the first step to get onto the shelf is actually to get a manufacturer. Just like, yes, here in the UK, anyway. We do also look for manufacturers in the EU as well, say, for example, in um, Ireland and Holland, for example. So, once we've got the manufacturer, usually our clients speak to two or three manufacturers then we work with that manufacturer to continue developing the product from the prototype obviously their their processes and their volumes are going to change the recipe slightly so it's making sure that the original goals of the entrepreneur was preserved as much as possible especially when it comes to the nutritional side health claims side at the same time we can also be working on the branding at this point because we know what the product's going to be. We know what those values of the product have and the branding process is happening at the same time. So it's helping helping our clients through this busy period, very busy period. <laughs> um, it could also be that we're just doing one element of the project for the clients. It really depends what competencies the client has already and you know what they want to work on themselves.
1: Is it more common for for clients, for for food companies to be outsourcing the actual production to to these manufacturers or do do a lot of them prefer to actually produce their foods in-house?
0: Well, those two roads that you can go down, you can either set up your own processing unit and that requires capital investment, of course. At the same time, you also need a unit that's going to a certain accreditation as well so that you know supermarkets will buy the products from your site rather than buying from other accredited manufacturers so yeah at that point is it like a fork in the road do you do your own processing unit so where you've got full control or do you you get a a manufacturer to make it for you um, with a lot of the headache of not running your own processing unit yourself so it's really down to the entrepreneur, what, what they prefer to do. Either way is big commitments and requires capital investment. because Obviously, with manufacturers, usually you've got to do commit to, you know, for example, a beverage manufacturer. They might, you know, their minimum quantity that they will produce might be 600 litres at a time. It really depends on if it's a startup, then is the entrepreneur going to start small scale and grow organically like it really depends what funds they've got and what ambition they've
1: got as an add-on question here do you think there's an opening at least in in the uk market in the uk industry for food manufacturers that are just plant-based that would kind of step in where where you're having Problems reaching manufacturers that that could do this for for your clients?
0: Yes, it might be, though, because food is such a a very you know such a variety. The equipment required to produce yeah. you might have to have a lot of investment to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd specialize. There it's, there's some manufacturers like one. There's one ice cream maker in Wales, I believe, does dairy free, so there's no dairy at all in there site, but they're very, very, very few. Uh, what is good, though, is that most manufacturers in the UK do follow cross-contamination processes where, you know, they'll segregate an area for dairy-free or meat-free. So,
1: Speaking of entrepreneurs, like the clients that you work with, what's, what are some of the most common problems that you're solving for them? And I mean, not, not just the typical process that you've just described, but what are some of the issues that food brands are often encountering when they are starting out?
0: Well, it's different for every client, actually. First of all, in product development, finding a USP, unique selling point, so that they're really differentiated from the rest of their competitors providing the evidence file for health claims so that what they're claiming on the front and back of the pack in any marketing is fully backed up with um, trading regulations. Also, even just in the beginning of the process, like a really honest SWOT analysis, so strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, looking at you know solutions to future problems that might arise, any prevention measures that can be put in place and be ready when opportunities arise. A good one is actually cash flow forecasting when you you know you're taking your product for the first time to distribute So making sure that you could be selling a product, but you don't actually get paid for three to six months, even sometimes nine months down the line. Even for established businesses, like what? <laughs> oh, sounds really boring and obvious, but it's, honestly, it's getting a, a conversation started with a manufacturer and not just manufacturers, but other third parties. So really kind of relentlessly following up and, and, and getting in contact with the right people that make that will make things happen and once you're there is also when you start having that conversation we say that you know we've got a client who's interested in doing xyz making sure that we have the right information to put forward that we're taking seriously so that's a quite a common hurdle. As I mentioned before, just getting through to a manufacturer is take 50 phone calls. Uh, but there's a reason behind that. There's other things like attracting, attracting buyers, standing out from all the other products that are trying to attract buyers, posting out a menu and different strategies and designing menu. And we also do short production runs for samples and, and marketing purposes. So, um, yeah, we, we want to make sure that. You know when you go when you go to a manufacturer, they want to do their big batches, but for a um when we work for a small for a small size client um you know short production runs can be a lot saver to so that they're not not having to commit to those full production runs Yeah. Um, also just getting getting the product in front of buyers as well, so that also that can also depend on the shelf life of the product too. So sorting, I mean I've even <laughs> we've done so many things, crazy things sometimes. Like we've even taken um a fire extinguisher on the tube.
1: Oh what? What?
0: On the London Underground. <laughs> like a big one. Um just to get it to a local market where the where the health and safety officers arrived and they're meant to have, you know, all of these additional things out of the blue. So To comply and make sure that that open, yeah, <laughs> it's probably one of the craziest ones. um we've also flown to to uh, Dublin to a a manufacturer in Dublin um back and forth to London in a day, just to look at the consistency of of a smoothie being made for a client, so all sorts of fun things, <laughs> but you know. There's so much, so many challenges when you're running a, a business. We're just on hand to do whatever it takes, basically. If if you could
1: sum it up in you know just one or two sentences, what's the most important thing that a business should consider when when it's laying out its plans, so so they avoid at least some of these challenges?
0: Um, definitely. Does the product product taste great to the market you are targeting? So, getting as much feedback as possible to that from that market in particular. What's going to be the retail price? Is your marketing message clear and simple? At the end of the day, how much percentage of your capital investment are you planning on spending on marketing? Because, um, again, coming back to the cash flow, once you're getting it onto the shelf, you're going to be waiting a while for payment. So, do you have enough cash flow for marketing Mm -hmm. and payment for? Raw materials and paying the manufacturer. So, yeah, those those are the things really important to consider when setting out
1: as a food business. In terms of marketing the brand, what, what are some of the most important things that a business should consider when they're just defining the the brand for for themselves?
0: I think it's really important to look at your competitors in your immediate category from the name. And then the branding that brings that name to life or, or brings that brand to life, um, unless, you're, unless you're positioning yourself as like, kind of like a value brand where price is really important. getting your name and branding right, obviously, you know, checking trademark, the um, main names, obviously, and you really just want to try and get the strongest tool in the toolbox when it comes to your name and branding in, in your category. Um, Sometimes I've said this, I've said this um, quite a few times actually uh, like a lot of times in the natural channel, there's a lot of products where it's a green font and it's a leaf coming out of the name. And many, many people people use it. I can understand why that is but if you can imagine that if you're a product on a shelf in a, a supermarket and if everybody else has that same branding it's going to be harder for you to stand out so we would always recommend people to go bold and stand out with color as much as possible just like just like all mainstream brands do rather than just going for like natural channel branding and i'm just talking about food here i'm not talking about you know services or organizations i'm just focused on the food and making sure that our clients branding stands
1: out do you notice any cultural differences because you you have clients in in the uk and the u.s right
0: yes we do um yeah there's always differences in the culture actually and uh it's really important to u.s clients um really notice the differences when they, when they come here to the UK and um, we'd always recommend just having like your local professionals talk to your local professionals. If you're looking at another, another market, really say, for example, like here in the UK, a large percentage of the older, um, the older market, they, I don't know if this is the same in the US, but particularly here in the UK, they're like, Familiar plain food overall. They don't like tanginess or strong flavouring, and you can see that actually with our leading meat-free brand here in the UK. Um, however, there's a you know growing percentage of population that likes to try new things around the world. You know, driven by young people, um, American products tend to do very well here. But for the US, you know, if we were to advise the client taking a product here from the UK and launching in the US. Then definitely spending time in the US speaking to local professionals. You really need to understand the cultural differences um, before you launch products product into a new market. Absolutely.
1: So it's actually easier to, to bring a product from the States to England than it is to to bring a UK product into the states, is is what you're saying.
0: Not on the cultural base, not on the cultural basis no, but if if you're a business in the US and you want to target certain certain points in the market, be wanting to understand what are the trends in each market. Um so that if there's any adjustments to make to your products, um say for a good example is actually recently um a an alternative milk company in the US which actually just makes creamers, but here in the UK, most of most of the UK doesn't know what a creamer is. And they wouldn't know what to do with it, but they know what milk is. So, the advice to to that particular company would be, you need to change this word because you're gonna, otherwise, you're gonna spend a whole lot more money on marketing to get
1: educate the the clients basically.
0: Yes, exactly. So there's just those those you know those things. They're little things, but they could turn into big things <laughs> later on. And you don't want to invest a whole lot of money and learn that it was just the one, you know, one word needed to be changed. So, yeah, I think um, learning the culture, the local culture, is really important.
1: Speaking of trends, and you, you kind of touched on this earlier, but the whole plant-based scene in the UK, to me, it seems like it's completely blowing up right now. That that's my outside view of it, and what what you're saying it kind of reaffirms that view. But is it really? I mean, is it really growing so fast? Well,
0: without my anecdotal observations, <laughs> the data coming in says it is. It's, it's all favorable, and saying that the growth is is um, very positive and fast growing. Then the also the big retailers, the supermarkets here in the UK also come out with great sales figures and also that, you know, the meat is is reducing. Anecdotally, I would say, yes, it is everywhere, not only in London and, and major cities in the UK, but smaller towns and rural, rural areas. Um, recently, I went to a local farm shop in Herefordshire, which is a big farming, you know, farming county. Um, it's bordering on you know borders Wales, basically so this particular farm shop had way more of the natural channel products available including you know all the plant based milks and it was just really remarkable to see that in in what I was expecting you know just a whole chiller case full of full of you know local dairy products you know so really interesting to see that. Uh I guess to compare us against compared to the UK against the rest of the world. Um, I think it, it always comes down to population and, and the uptake, but it all depends which market sector you look at. But um, here in the UK, consumer packaged goods are growing very rapidly, our uh, street food markets um, and single unit retailers popping up everywhere. Um, long established single unit restaurants now opening second and third sites when it comes to totally next level burgers, like the US has them ready to scale up. I mean, I went I've tried the impossible burger and the Beyond Burger and wow, you know, once they're scaled up, I think that'll have a really big impact. They they taste amazing to me. You know, and I, I went to a restaurant in New York recently called Ladybird and had the most awe inspiring vegan cheese fondue. It was was just amazing. So USA really excels at cheese on the whole too, although we've got some great brands like Butte Island. There's more coming up as well. So I think for all countries, growth will come in waves and we perceive the other is, is suddenly doing better than our home market or suddenly growing. But, yeah, it's like I said before, it's just this constant flow of good news and it's such, you know, just really amazing to to see it and celebrate every single time something new comes onto the market
1: if we have like a wide bird's eye view of of the entire plant-based business scene and speaking of growth where where are we right now i mean it seems to me that we are way past the childhood stage is this like puberty for for the plant-based industry is this the amazing growth spurt before we, we hit a plateau or well I don't think we're really gonna hit a plateau for any time soon.
0: <laughs> well I like your optimism actually as to where we are. Uh, I would say we're still early years childhoods, but you know we're you know we're still crawling with f we've got a few older walking sibling growth examples we've got a lot of got a lot of growing to do but how exciting to be in that position um you know more brands businesses scaling up more investment you know all greatly needed and, and it will take time but you know with all the fast growth that we see we're still small compared to you know meat dairy and egg sales so it's important to get important to get outside our good news bubble and realize how much growth is needed but yeah wow like what such huge potential and such we've already got great examples of great companies doing really well we just need to do more of that and
1: what do you see personally what what has the biggest potential in in this space not not necessarily just the food space but the the entire industry
0: Wow, such a big question. I mean, replacing meat, fish, eggs, and dairy products in all traditional and in- innovative formats and scaling up. The same with leather, really. Leather is the other big industry to replace, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then whatever brands that you are, um, whatever, whatever you're making, clothes or, you know, car seat interior. Material or foods, whatever it is, you know, scaling up to be international. And if you think about how many brands of consumer products there are that that could be replaced by plant based, then, you know, bring it on. We've got a long way to go. But we need hundreds, thousands more brands.
1: We're barely scratching the surface.
0: We need them all scaling up as well. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's either that or the current existing businesses, you know. They're investing in um, plant-based companies and buying whole, buying up, you know, uh, plant-based companies. So, you know, um, it's everything, it's all of the above needs to happen.
1: Which is kind of where, where I see this headed as well. I mean, it's going to be a combination of new brands coming up and possibly some older brands kind of dying off. But... A lot of the older existing brands are simply gonna transition and start including more plant-based options into their offering, and slowly over time, I see that's gonna transition into mostly plant-based offerings with a side of, you know, meat or dairy for those die-hard fanatics who simply won't give them up.
0: <laughs> Do you think though that the clean meat, like the cultured meat, will will take care
1: of that? I um. Well, I have to say for myself, it doesn't really hold much allure. But I, I think it definitely has potential because we're we're moving towards even big meat giants, accepting the fact that the way that our agricultural industry, our our farming industry is is headed, it's simply unsustainable.
0: Yeah, agree. I guess if you ask me about the biggest gaps in the market in in the food sector the food sector in particular i've got an exciting list for you jerry
1: <laughs> okay. okay yeah i would definitely like to hear that list what do you see where are the biggest opportunities biggest empty spots
0: well here in the uk all food retail and by that i mean including all takeouts all food delivery um, restaurants Uh, food to go, more plant-based desserts to complement the main menu, plant-based items. So many times now, which is good, there's more plant-based items on the menu, but when it comes to the desserts, everything's got dairy and often egg in it too. So when I, you know, my local pizza restaurant, for example, you know, one third of menu, long menu is plant-based, but... They even advertise vegan pizza here on their window, Um, but when it comes to their dessert menu, it's all dairy. When I ask the owners, they say, "You know, the main distributor that their chain buys from does not stock a dairy-free dessert solution." So it highlights the food chain reality, and you know, mainstream distributors don't know what they're missing out on. And you know, here considering the growth of dairy-free ice cream and um, Pratts, which is a Very popular food to go chain here. Their CEO, Clive Schley, recently revealed that the veggie sites that they've um, recently uh, launched, they sell more sweet products. So it's definitely time that everyone puts more plant-based desserts on the menu. (laughs) Also, for a long time, you know, we've always thought a plant-based seafood restaurant concepts would be pretty cool. I've been mean, to Crossroads in, L- in LA and their lox bagel is like a dream come true. And also the tomato sushi, which is, um, mm-hmm. I forget the name of the place where it's available, but um, that's absolutely amazing. So yeah, so the seafood side, I guess, again, here in the UK, like on food on the side, like basically. I mean, where's the Jamie Oliver, Michelle Rue, Gordon Ramsay, Heston Blumenthal, you know, UK chefs making their best versions of plant-based meat on the proteins. Um uh so yeah, I would like to see famous chefs here in the UK stepping up and see if they can make make it any better than Beyond Burger, you know, Beyond Burger and Burger. So let's see. Um in the consumer packaged goods sector, more cheese milks, chilled and frozen desserts, um, that are not ice cream. Um more middle market and premiumized meat alternative brands. Uh, You know, those brands can also make everyday value sub-brands to serve the value end of the market, but it'd be great to see more premiumized meat alternatives. Definitely more ready meals and especially food to go options in supermarkets. So uh, we're actually working on solutions to both at the moment. Just a quick plug, Tofurky, looking to launch sandwiches in the UK very soon. So uh, if you look at their Facebook page, you will have some hints to what that looks like. We've been working with them. Uh, that's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think I mentioned before, we've just finished development of a pasta-based ready meal. Um, so that's also exciting for when that launches. So anyway, there are all the gaps, definitely, and a lot. Like, you know, can't wait.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- those are some huge gaps there. And from the way you're describing them, it seems like you really could, like you said sometime at the beginning, you could get an easy 100 or a 1,000 plant-based brands, and you still probably wouldn't fill all of those gaps. Absolutely. And the way I just said this leads me to my next question, plant-based or vegan? What's your opinion?
0: Well, um, I'm probably going to give you the longest answer you've ever heard, but I'll try and summarize it down. It'll this probably right
1: ahead. For the sake of your
0: listeners, um, so for food product and menu labeling, I would say there are actually three labels that have success and are important. It depends on the context. So firstly, vegan. Vegan food can be non-plant-based, like micro and cultured meat, but um, by the way, we'll always only design products that can be labeled suitable for vegans it includes process as well as the ingredients. But it must be noted that, you know, the, on the whole, the UK supermarket buyers don't yet buy any brand name with the word vegan in the brand name title. So if you had a company called Joe's Vegan Kitchen, you know, guess what? You're not going to get your brand called Joe's Vegan Kitchen, you know, in, onto a shelf yet. So the word vegan is really only labeled as an indicator to consumers on diet choice or you know lifestyle descriptor so like suitable for vegans and vegetarians i think that that will change on the plant based labeling i mean we we're rebranding to use the word plant based in our name and as we use plants and derivatives in our product development we see plant based as a coverall of vegan vegetarian clean eating that you know that we make we're differentiating from micro proteins and cultured meat plant-based to me is indicates immediately as to what the product is made from the third one is the free from positioning has done very well yeah UK for plant milks and plant protein meats um so meat free and dairy free especially we've got those three labels and in the product marketing you know we see examples of both and mixing all together so for example Earlier in the year, a U.K. supermarket, um, Waitrose, released its January magazine to be its first meat-free edition and used words in its editorial like Plant Protein. But then this month, they launched a new food-to-go wrap with the word vegan in big letters on the front of the pack. So I think all labels are the present and the future.
1: That was a really good answer.
0: (laughs) That still wasn't the longest answer.
1: Uh, I think it may have been one of the longest, but it was definitely well, well thought out and well layered. So thank you for that. (laughs) Now, if we take another step back and if we keep heading in this direction, what does the future look like to you?
0: Along with media and new product launches and you know new restaurant openings or new. You know, more news about restaurants switching over to, you know, plant based or increasing their plant based menus. That's going to bring a much needed culture change and they'll bring better food, happy business people, happy consumers, maybe better grown plant based food also. Like the dream is if everything was organic one day. But um, I think we need to solve these bigger, bigger problems. They're more urgent, but, you know, um, those that's a great future to look forward to and to be optimistic for.
1: Yeah. And what about in terms of plant-based business? What's what's your future look like?
0: Hopefully, one day, we won't need to call ourselves plant-based business. We'll just be a, a food development and marketing agency.
1: <laughs> like that. So if anyone wants to know more about your your services or what you do or you you said that was it on your Facebook page or on the Furky's Facebook page where where people can actually see some of the stuff that's coming out where where can they go?
0: Well, um any initial information go to plantbasedtv.com and we're also on Twitter, a plant-based to be. Um, you're going to find out through our Twitter before what what new launches that our clients are doing. We're always going to celebrate those. And in the meantime, you just have to know that we're working quietly behind the scenes, <laughs> quietly behind the scenes until until our clients are, you know, until they... By its development to become public, um, we, you know, we we're very loyal to our clients, and we need to keep their secrets until they're willing to share them. But if you look out on our Twitter; you're always going to find the latest news. there.
1: Yeah, and obviously, by by the time that this interview goes live, the plan based business website will be up. You will be operating under the new name, so. It's already if someone wants to start working with you, you're you're good to go, right?
0: Yeah, good to go. Absolutely. All they need to do is just um, get drop us an email or or phone us during business working hours, um, and we can organize a chat. It's always free, and let's let's talk about what your vision is, what you want to do.
1: Perfect. Oh. Jen, thank you so much for for your time today and for explaining everything. And I, I have to say, I really like that that answer about plant-based and vegan and and free-from.
0: Thanks so much, Jerry, for having us on and and uh, yeah, listening to um, what's happening. I guess here in the UK, mostly.
1: Yeah, I think UK, like I said, I think it's really, right now, it, it seems to be a hot spot of vegan activity. So um, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably looking the same too, to you being right there on the ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a great time to launch products. It's a great time to come and open a uh, a restaurant here. It's a great time to visit if you just want to come and experience everything that's new. It's um. You could spend, you know, weeks, if not months going around to everything, you know, to events as well. That's really booming recently. There you go.
1: Another business opportunity, Vegan Tours UK. (laughs) Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Have an awesome day. Okay. Very. Cheers. All right, that was Jennifer Pardo from Plant-Based to Business joining me in episode 31 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show to discuss the opportunities that exist in the plant-based food space in the UK right now. And incidentally, if there's anyone out there who's seriously considering launching into that large-scale food production side in the plant-based business that we discussed, I really want to talk to you on the show, okay? Now, if you missed anything... Don't worry, because you can find all the brands, all the names, and all the links to things that we covered in today's episode in the show notes that we take for you. So you can get them all if you go to theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 031. And while you're on that site, make sure you subscribe to our Plan-Based Entrepreneur Insider list, because that means you'll be the first to know when registration opens for the very first online vegan business summit. Remember, for now, you can still let us know what questions or topics you'd like the Summit Guests to cover in September. There's a form we set up for it on veganbusinesssummit.com. So just head on over there, fill it out, and let us know your questions. And by the way, we're still looking for one to two part-time interns to help us out with this event. So if you're passionate about vegan business and you're skilled at graphic design, web development, or copywriting please get in touch by sending a short cover letter directly to my email. It's jerry at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com. And of course, any other questions about the summit or about the podcast, you can always reach out to me there as well. Now, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show. I'll talk to you again next week. Until then, stay amazing and remember, the future is plant based